This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 215. There's just a completely different customer base shopping in different places. So there might be opportunities in places where you didn't even realize that opportunity existed. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and I'm so happy that we're back together again today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. I'm thrilled to have you join in on the fun here, too. It's an exciting place to be, particularly right now, because my new live masterclass is happening in just a few days. Oh my gosh, I've been preparing for this forever, and I can't believe it's right around the corner. I get notifications on my phone when someone new registers, and I'm thinking pretty quickly I'm going to need to turn them off because my phone keeps chiming. This masterclass is truly live. Like, I'm really there with you. You know how many times you'll see masterclasses and they're pre-recorded? Not this one. I'm right there with you, live. I'm going to be talking about the five critical elements you need to know when starting a handmade business. I meet so many people who dream of making money from their craft, but they just don't take any action. I get it. It can be scary. Or they have gotten started and it's not working for some reason. It's heartbreaking. Perhaps this describes you, or if you're just curious about the whole business thing, then I'd love to have you come over and join the masterclass. If you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late. The masterclass is called How to Turn Your Handmade Products into an Income-Producing Business, and it's totally free. To grab your seat, go to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash masterclass. Let's turn now and talk about what I have in store for you on the show today. You know, most of the time I bring on guests who've started their business from scratch. But what if you come upon an opportunity to buy an existing business? And what if that business isn't living up to its potential, but you see what it could be and you want to take a shot at turning it around? Is it worth the risk? I'll rephrase that. Is it more or less risky than starting from nothing? You can decide for yourself as you hear what Eric has accomplished in bringing a well-known brand back into its glory. Along the way, you'll also hear Eric mention actions that you too can use to get more business, regardless of how you started your company. It's my pleasure now to introduce you to Eric of Pasta Mamas. Let's roll that interview. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to Eric Delary of Pasta Mamas. Eric is the general manager and managing partner at Pasta Mamas, which is a small pasta manufacturer in Richland, Washington. The path to where he is today took many turns, from working with Burton Snowboards in Vermont to DC Shoes in California. Eric's passion has been with iconic brands in niche industries working on projects with Red Bull and Monster Energy. When the opportunity arose to take control of a local brand with a lot of room to grow, he took it. Pasta Mamas was originally founded in 1986 by the Santilli family. Through some not-so-typical ups and downs, the brand has survived over the years. It is once again thriving thanks to a refreshed image, revised energy, and a broader company passion that focuses on their founding principles to provide the highest quality gourmet foods possible, utilizing only the finest all-natural ingredients. Welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast, Eric. Thanks so much for having me, Sue. Glad to be here. I am so excited. It'll be interesting to see if we get into the story about how we know each other, but we'll just see how (laughs) things progress here. Absolutely. We're going to leave our listeners curious for a minute. I like it. I like it. Perfect. First, I want you to share with all of our listeners who you are by way of a motivational candle. So if you were to give me the color and a quote on a candle that you would create that you would put your name on, what does your candle look like? I think right now my candle is bright orange. 
and it would say context is everything. I think that that's where I'm at. And what does that mean? Yeah. So the further I get along in this little journey of life, the more that you're able to absorb and experiences and individuals and just as much context as you can put to life in general, I think it helps you understand what's going on around you all the time and just creates this synergy that keeps you going and motivated and everything comes into alignment when there's a context that you can define and see. So it's not just the situation at hand, it's everything around it that, so where that situation links into the whole? Yes, exactly. Got it. Yeah, there's so much synergy around you all the time, I feel like, and there's always things going on. The world is such a small place. And I think the more that we network and the more that we meet people, the more we realize just how small all that is. And so when we can see that context and understand it, it starts to intertwine everything. I like that way of thinking because I think it leads to broadening your mind and your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. I am really excited to talk about Pasta Mamas, Eric, because I know a little backstory of Pasta Mamas. And then I also, and I guess we're going to get into our relationship, our relationship, Eric, <laughs> pretty quickly here. But yeah. I got a chance to meet your now new wife, Sarah. Gift Biz listeners, you might remember Sarah Frink from a show, boy, several months ago. She and Eric have now gotten married, and I've been hearing about Pasta Mamas all the way along, and I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Let's jump right into how you got into Pasta Mamas and how you identified the opportunity. Well, originally, I met Sarah almost 10 years ago, and she was into a lot of freelance marketing things back then. I did a lot of marketing and was into those things. And we actually were just in different places at different times, and we cruised around for quite a bit doing our own thing. And then we reconnected back a couple of years ago, and it's all history now. And yeah, we got married on the first this year, and there's just been a lot of different things that she's done that really align with the things that I've done. It actually goes right back to what I said before is just there's always this open synergy between people wherever you are. And as long as you continue to make those connections and just go with the flow of things, mm -hmm. amazing things happen. So I had been working on a number of different projects and really doing different freelance things and was just busy traveling and doing some of these things. And I really kind of wanted to settle down and found myself looking for some new opportunities. And she had actually been working with Pasta Mamas from a marketing standpoint, and they were a client of hers. And the owner really just needed fresh management there. And he's getting a little bit older. He's actually a fifth generation wheat farmer out of Spokane. He had bought the company from the Santillis back in 2013. I've been partnered with them for several years before they moved on other things as well. And I saw an opportunity to take a brand that had been around for a long time that needed some love and attention and really put some effort into restructuring how the company not only is doing business day to day internally, but how we see the brand align in that industry in general, because grocery is definitely something that's complex and there's a lot of moving pieces to it. So it was just really interesting from the start. This is interesting because you were looking for opportunities. So you were in a mode where you're thinking, okay, I want to do something new. Mm -hmm. Sarah had been working with him a little bit. And that, so did she recognize the opportunity and chat with you? And you're like, hey, you know, yes, all the stuff that I've been doing is something that they could use. How did that union start coming together? And the reason I ask you is a lot of the people who are listening here are thinking of starting a business for themselves. Yeah, And that idea of linking up with someone else who might need their area of expertise could be a new concept for people. So I think this can add some new context, Eric, <laughs> to think <laughs> some thinking. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Nice, Sue. Good job. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So ironically, I mean, I'm pretty outspoken with stuff, especially with my wife. I saw so much potential and I kind of just kept speaking up about certain things that maybe she was working on or different ways that the brand could be thinking of things differently. So as an agency, essentially, with different employees working for her, obviously she's taking instruction from her clients. She's getting feedback. And ultimately, even with her own recommendations, they're still going to do what they perceive is the best fit for their company. And that's ultimately what I saw going on. As well, they should, right? Yeah. I mean, they should take recommendations from a lot of people and then decide because we all steer our own ships. Exactly. So what I really saw was sometimes there's just things that need some changing. And when 
previous management decided to go their other way. I said, this is a great opportunity for us to reinvent what's going on here. One of the really cool things about Pasta Mamas in particular is they did actually close down the business and had a hiatus from 1997 until 2010. And the volume of business that they were doing leading up to 97 was tremendous. They had done an incredible job with the business. There was tragedy with Paul, the owner at the time. He uh, actually was in an accident and became paralyzed. Oh, dear. And that's kind of why they shut it down for a bit. So in 2010, they came back. But if you think about the landscape of, let's say, mail order catalogs and writing checks and everything that was going on pre-97, and then you think about 2010 and and you're now e-commerce and Amazon competition, I mean, it's just an entirely different dynamic. So keeping that same business bottle and doing what they had known for so long definitely was a setback and they really needed to start reinventing things. So it was a struggle, I think, when they reinvented it and, and trying to bring it back around. And so that's what we looked at it as is just this awesome opportunity to really look at what we had and how it fits in the marketplace and really do something too that was streamlined and cost effective because we're a small business. And again, working with somebody who's a wheat farmer himself, he's not a huge investor. I guess more conservative business growth. Yeah. So at that time, I'm just curious, how did you go about creating, he didn't just hire you in because like you own a portion of the company, you're invested in the company in that way. How did you do this from a legal standpoint and or investigating whether this was a good idea for you to enter into? We definitely spent a lot of time looking through the financials the last couple of years and what the business had done and where it was headed. It was important for us, obviously, to look at what the advantages were, but not enter this as something that was going to be an immediate issue for us in terms of financial stability or having to invest a lot of money into it. So clearly a development move. Yes, exactly. So we spent a lot of time going through the numbers and we finally settled on something. What we said was we'll make this investment in the company itself, we'll take the time to do the things that we need to do and invest our own resources into it as long as the partner that's working with us on this is able to continue funding the month-to-month minor investments that we need. And then we can keep pushing forward with the new development of product lines, point of sale, merchandising, just a lot of the assets that we really needed in general and really infrastructure for production as well. So some of the systems and processes in place needed to be updated. So that's how we went into it. And really what we said too is we wanted to evaluate quarterly and then we set a deadline to decide how we were going to move forward as a partnership once we reached a point where we all felt comfortable that we were in the right position because it wasn't doing great when we took it over. Mm -hmm. I think we might get into that a little bit when we talk about some of the challenges, but I believe what I heard you just say is as you were looking at it, of course, you're looking at the numbers and then you also divvied up responsibilities. These will be things that we're going to bring to the table. They're advantages for the partnership. These are things we're expecting you to do, which enable us to fulfill what we're wanting to do. So you've divided responsibilities before you Mm -hmm. even made an agreement. Yes, absolutely. And we didn't just have that conversation that we drafted everything out so that you can actually see what those roles were, what they looked like and what those responsibilities were. And then after a year, we did the same thing and reevaluated again and just looked at what do we need now and what are the next steps forward? Mm -hmm. Well, I thank you for sharing that because I think for our listeners, anyone who's interested in joining into a partnership, that's really important is talking through all of that beforehand. The other thing I really like about what you're talking about, Eric, is points of evaluation. Like (laughs) at certain points, you have it built into the whole structure that you're going to be relooking at it at certain points along the way and making changes, deciding Mm -hmm. where you go, et cetera. Yeah. And you really have to, I think, especially now, things are always so fluid and constantly changing right now that you really do have to set, I would say, at least quarterly. We do monthly meetings internally, but then as far as, well, we do monthly meetings as partner meetings as well, but even the staff internally, we're always meeting on these things. And then reevaluate your position quarterly and just check everything and make sure that here's what we set as goals and these are what we're aiming to achieve, what's still in line, what makes sense, or what have we dove into development-wise and then found out that this may not make as much sense as we thought that it did, and what's another way of looking at it. So something that's pretty exciting that we'll be making an official announcement about here shortly is that we're going to have an offshoot of a lot of gourmet products that are going to accompany what we've been doing for years and really the recipes that the Santilli family left behind with the legacy of the company. So there's a lot of really cool attributes to the company that maybe some years ago we just weren't focused on. And now with some of the opportunities in the marketplace, that's where we see these new opportunities. 
Oh, that's exciting. You've yeah. piqued my interest there for sure. <laughs> cool. <laughs> to finalize this portion, how long a time did it take from when you identified the opportunity? I know when Sarah was working with them, maybe we're starting to think and build the concept and kind of lay the groundwork. But from the time you guys agreed that this would work, how long did it take to define roles do your due diligence, get something legal together, and then sign. Really, and I think because it is a small business and without somebody in the proper position, it doesn't take it long to start falling by the wayside. We did this pretty quickly, but we did it in about three months, which may also be why we said after six months, let's really look at this again and revisit everything. And after a year again, so November of 2017 is when I came into this organization and we started revamping everything. So what are we, we're... Yeah, 16 months into this now. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say finally, with what we're doing now, we feel like we're really at a good place and the entire business has done a complete 180. We've increased revenue every month over twice of the previous year. So we're really excited about just the changes that we've seen in the last year alone. Very cool. Okay, I'm writing some notes here. A bunch of things I want to talk to you about. Yeah. From... A baseline. Can you give us a feel for when you walked in, what were some things that you felt that you needed to work on that have changed to give you the numbers and the results that you're getting now? Initially, what we had heard was customer service. There were just certain things that the customers seemed like they wanted to see. Our client base is small business owners. The majority of the business for a lot of years, we have a database of a little over 500 gift and gourmet stores around the country, farm stands, mercantiles, country stores, small hometown businesses. And so we pride ourselves on our ability to work one-on-one with these folks who are doing everything they can to run a small business. So we love that aspect of it, which means we really needed to listen to what was going on with them. And so the customer service side was one of the biggest things. And coming from a gift and gourmet specialty food item, obviously customers are very specific on what they want and what they expect. And when quality changes or packaging changes or somebody makes an abrupt change and doesn't notify customers that these things are going out, you have to communicate with people. And so sending some of that stuff out The previous management did some rebranding. They changed some recipes. They sent stuff out. It didn't notify people. And you immediately start losing customers that way. I'm glad you bring that up because I was involved in the gift basket industry for a while and knew of Pasta Mamas and knew of them as being a solid reputation, solid product for a while. Then I dropped out of that industry a little bit. But I think that's the time when maybe some of the changes happened. And you bring up a really good point that customers come to expect something. And certainly if it's a consumable product, so certain types of ingredients, your product is a certain way because they're representing you in that way. And if anything is changing, and this is before you came on the scene, I know, Eric, if anything's changing, it's really critical that you communicate that out, which is what sounds like maybe didn't happen here. So when you came on board, you were actually working, I don't want to say from a deficit, I don't mean to say it that way, but it sounds like there was a point when trust had to be reestablished and there was a level of education that needed to be had to say, here, this is what happened in the past and here's how this is going to be different for the future. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And uh, you said it perfectly, to be honest, is we felt a little bit initially like there was a deficit there because so much business had been lost or it really because these are small town businesses too. What's amazing about it is you do get direct feedback. So if someone had come in and had been buying pasta mamas from a local store for years, and then they came in and picked up their typical groceries with it and came home and cooked it and it was completely different you can bet that that person probably mentioned it to the store owner the next time they went in. And that store owner definitely called us and let us know, hey, you know, our customers are coming in and saying this and that. And we heard that constantly, which sounds like a deficit. But what's great about it is we're getting the feedback. So if we're a big company and a big store and somebody goes in and complains to the manager, they might apologize, wish them the best, but they most certainly aren't going to reach out directly. And that's really what we spent the first at least six months doing is just reaching directly out to people and kind of asking for forgiveness. Hey, can you give us a shot? again, here's what we've done. We've revamped the recipe. We've gone back to the original one. We're using the same flowers. We're using the same ingredients. Give us a shot again. And they did. And that's the great thing, honestly, about small businesses is that they're willing to give it a shot. If you're willing to work with them, they're willing to give it a shot. 
I think as small business owners, we want to feel important and we want mm-hmm. to know that we're being heard and that we're recognized. Our yeah. input is being recognized. And to do that goes a long way. I mean, look at what you overcame. And to be fair, I don't think, and I don't know because I hadn't tasted it during that transition time, but mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't edible. It was just different. Right. I mean, it wasn't a bad product necessarily. It just wasn't what was expected and anticipated. And now you've taken it to a whole different level. We're going to get to that. (laughs) We'll definitely get to that. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So reaching out and talking directly and virtually being honest with what's happened and and kind of just asking them to give you another shot is what you're saying. That's it. Yeah, it really is. Just, we, you know, we'd love to work with you again and really offering to bring value back to their business as well. And that is one of the things that I saw as such a potential with this is, well, again, from that 97 to 2010 timeframe, the consolidation and buying up of small craft brands, gourmet brands, food, beverage, whatever it is, any industry really, that had been happening so much that it really did become harder for small businesses to buy these products from other small businesses. And that's what many of our customers prided themselves on was these really nice craft products. So there's not many of those out there anymore. It's coming back again. I think there's a lot of new craft businesses and people are doing amazing things. But some of these brands that have been around as long as they have, they've usually been bought up by somebody else at this point, which is eventually what you'd like to do with a lot of your brands is sell it often and start something else perhaps. But yeah, it was just cool to see something come back to life that would really start supporting these small business owners again. And I think that's why we've done so well in the last year is because we've done everything we possibly can to help them grow their business, which obviously in return grows ours. I think that that's why it's it's been a good situation over the last year. Yeah. Well, the way you just described that is brilliant, Eric, because you have a need that you want to get the product out and retell the story that it's now different, right? Mm -hmm. But they also had the need of being able to get product that they're not seeing in the large grocery stores, their specialty. So this is a really important point on positioning for everybody to recognize and ways to do things for their businesses too, because you need to find a need on behalf of your customers. And if you can talk to your product and how it fills an issue that they're having, you're able to jump so much further ahead. Absolutely. Of your initial list of people who you were going after to tell the story, they used to buy pasta mamas. They probably, they went through, I mean, actually, those customers went through a little bit because the business closed. Then it came back up in an entirely different product. There were a couple of little hurdles, big hurdles maybe, that you yeah. had to overcome. <laughs> yeah. But what would you say just, you might know the number exactly, but like how many customers do you think you retained through the whole process? It's actually, it's kind of hard to judge because there's such a long list of customers from over the years. And truthfully, small businesses close and some go away. But really, I think our list, if I had to say there's about 300 stores in particular that we really wanted to go after, I would say that we've gotten at least uh, two thirds of those back at this point. I am not surprised. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So... I know that you had to change, I don't know that you had to, but part of the success is that you changed the recipe back to the original recipe. What does that do back of house to you? How do you even do that? Yeah. So I said before, I kind of came from some, I always think like a product is a product. And as long as you know your product, the general strategy overall for business development and your processes, it should be similar, right? So whether you're selling sneakers or apparel or an energy drink or a bag of pasta, it all has the same type of business cycle. And it's just how you look at it. But what I didn't think about with the pasta in particular was really how much science goes into pasta itself. Well, for example, I went to Wazoo, Washington State University shortly after I started, because when I started looking at the flour and trying to figure out why the customers didn't like the product, because the flour did come from the same farm in Spokane. Again, the partner in the business is a fifth generation wheat farmer. He decided to harvest all the wheat himself one year. And instead of using the typical mill that we use with a company called Shepherd's Grain, he used a slightly different milling process. Same wheat, same type of flour, 
milled slightly differently and it changed the consistency of it. So when I went to Washington State University, I was woken up very quickly when they told me there's over 15,000 different strains of flour right in their lab that they study specifically. And I thought, all right, yeah, there's way more flour variations than I may have thought that there was. Whoa. Yeah, it's crazy. So you start looking at what consistency the flour is to make certain things. And really what we were using was a little bit better for maybe like a pizza crust or bagels but it was a little bit too firm and whole wheat for the pasta. So actually a semolina wheat flour is still all wheat flour, but the milling process is different. It's a bit more grainy and textured, but a typical semolina is what Italian pasta makers have been using for years. We went back to that. We just refined the recipes. We tested a lot of times and made sure that our hydration was spot on and what we were doing with the ingredients was spot on. And we just dialed everything in. We set those standards again and made sure that we had one good handbook for everything production wise. And that's where we're at. I could go down so many little rabbit holes here. So I'm going <laughs> to yeah. try and stay. I know, stay... I'm trying not to also. <laughs> I know. I'm going to try and stay on top of things that I think would be interesting and good information for our listeners too. Did you have inventory sitting there? Did you just have to like ditch in? Like, was that a financial hit or how did you deal with that? First off, let me start with, did you? Yeah, we did. So within the first, basically after the first three months and getting the feedback, I quickly learned that the flour just wasn't going to work. So I reached out to my partner and said, hey, you know, we have flour in storage somewhere. Can you tell me how much we have? And he said, well, we have 25 pallets. Those pallets are 2,000 pounds a piece. We had 50,000 pounds of flour in storage. We go through about a pallet maybe every two weeks, depending on some of the orders that come in, we might go through it in a week. But that is a good supply of flour and a lot of it. And it clearly wasn't going to work. So we did donate it to this great place just up the road from us called Second Harvest. They're an amazing nonprofit. They have this beautiful commercial kitchen and they do and repurpose all of these different food products. So 50,000 pounds of flour, they can do a lot with that product. So we did write it off. It was a bit of a loss, but moving forward, you just have to make those decisions too and decide we're either going to continue making poor product and pushing out things that people just aren't into, or you got to cut your losses and move on to something else. So that's what we did. Yeah, I think so too, especially in the situation you're talking about. A clear, Well, I can say that because I know it's been a successful (laughs) choice. So that's an easy statement for me. But in terms of just even though it was a financial hit, just saying, okay, starting here and now lying in the sand, because that also helps you in communicating with customers. We're serious about this. This is what we're changing. As of now, it's back to the new recipe. None of this, oh, we're just going to whittle down what we already have, right? Exactly. None of that. It was just clear. And I think that was a really strong, solid statement. So with that, let's now describe, and I've had the opportunity, you guys sent me samples of everything, not just the pasta, (laughs) but the sauces. And oh my gosh, I'm just going to start with so super yummy. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Without a doubt. Thank you so much. Good. And it's really, really different in a good way than some of the other pastas I've had. So you can definitely tell it's of high quality and flavor. And I guess the audience is saying, well, yeah, because you have Eric on the podcast. Obviously, you're going to say that. No, (laughs) honestly and seriously, it's true. So describe for everybody how you would go in if you were presenting to us for the first time, like we're all business owners and we have the potential to carry your product. How would you describe the line? Your mouth is going to start watering when you hear Eric's description. And that's going to happen right after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. All of the recipes literally are traditional Italian recipes. And so when we say there's an ingredient, in it, let's say it's a spinach linguine, it is semolina, it is spinach, and it is water. And those are the only ingredients that are in it. There's no fillers. We don't put anything extra into it. There's no preservatives. All of our ingredients are sourced locally. So we know where our spinach, our cayenne pepper, tomato, basil, anything that we have, it's all coming right from the Pacific Northwest. Currently, we get everything from Oregon Spice. All of our flour comes from Shepherd's Grain, which is all non-GMO verified. And we pride ourselves on a product that is small batch and handmade. 
So we don't use high temperature drying machines. We don't use the $2 million piece of equipment like some of the large pasta companies. I have a great production staff who hand makes everything in small 50 pound batches. It's hand folded. It's long dried for 48 hours at right about room temperature. Typically, we're right about 70 degrees. We use fans and a dehumidifier to remove some of the moisture. But other than that, we're not cooking it at 180 degrees for two hours to crank out as much as we possibly can. And what that really does is it leaves all the nutrients. It leaves all the good things that you want in your pasta in there. And it allows it to cook at a lot nicer pace. So it's just a higher quality product in general. And then the sauces, typically, have you spent any time in Italy at all? I have. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful place. <laughs> I'd like to spend a lot more time over there. Did you say, oh, because you didn't want to come back or what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Yes. Well, and it, it's really hard to compete with their pastas over there. And one of the things they always say is enjoy the pasta and the sauce is just light sauce. So we've always done a traditional dry sauce mix because then you can customize everything to exactly what you want and how much sauce you want. I think in America, we tend to put way Over more sauce, sauce and yeah. cheese on things than uh, typically. But yeah, we just all of our sauces, same thing, all natural ingredients. It's all just the best quality things. There's no binders, no fillers no preservatives, no additives. It's just a great quality product. Again, all hand mixed, hand packaged and done right here in the Tri-Cities in Washington. So what I'm hearing is that the real benefits besides the flavor and all of that is the health aspect. All the nutrients aren't cooked out of everything. Yeah. And it's not a high carb product. I know a lot of people think that pasta is just this high carbohydrate product as well. But again, it depends on the quality of ingredients you're using and how you're processing and packaging those ingredients. So mm -hmm. I think sometimes we don't think about that in particular. We're not thinking about how our food gets to where it is and the process by which it gets there. We're just thinking about the end result and what we're going to make with it. Yeah. And that it's going to taste good and we're going to really like it, but it's really good if it tastes good and you like it. And it also is healthy for you. Uh, yeah, that would be the best benefit, I think. Yeah. How about that as a concept? Yeah, crazy concept. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, a lot of our listeners, as they're building out their own products, question their packaging, how they're going to represent their brand in terms of the visuals and how everything is going to be packaged up. And I know you guys just went through a whole rebranding. And that was super fun because Sarah let me in and give some feedback on it. And I know you went through a couple of reiterations and landed on something really super solid. Share with us how that whole process went. Yeah. So one of the first things that I think, I mean, with any product, again, is you have to draw your customer to it. There's going to be something particularly attractive about whatever it is that you're doing. And then it also has to pertain to your brand and the perceived value of what you're doing. So I think packaging is super critical. I mean, one of the most important parts of really your brand in general is how you look all the time and how you show up. So again, we really just talked to a lot of people and listened to what they had to say. Folks missed some of the old packaging from before, which some of it is nostalgia or some of it's habit and people get used to certain things. They missed it because of the imagery or the actual materials of the packages or to be quite honest they said it looked higher end when it was white with like a gold foil logo on it and they didn't like what we had done over the i think it was like 2013 that it was changed originally and it kind of ran through until we changed it over in 2017 but they changed it over to like this black packaging or a black label and it was nice. They updated it and, and the branding had changed, but they just hired somebody to develop something new. And there wasn't a lot of attention to what are the customers going to think? And does this fit the food category? And is this attractive for this particular product? And realistically, no, the black packaging and the colors that they use and things like that from not being attractive on the shelf to honestly, people just saying, you know, we used to put all this stuff in gift baskets and it's really hard to match this to other products. It doesn't look good. That's really what the feedback was. So yeah, how do we tie back and keep the original feel of the package, give customers back what they want, but really update something and bring it forward because a gold foil on a white label from the 80s isn't also going to achieve what we need to do now. Right. So I love the fact that you started it once again by listening to customers. <laughs> Super smart. Yeah. And it's interesting because the way a package looks, even if it's the same product in the package, the quality can be perceived differently if there's not, like if a potential purchaser can't resonate with it. 
I also know from working and being with Sarah for a while that you guys wanted to make sure that they all looked good on a display because your clients mostly are gourmet stores. So you had to be able to have it look, I don't know how to say this right, but in terms of the displays, that it wasn't all just one signal package of pasta. There were variations in flavors and it had to be attractive and also size-wise for the basket people. Yeah, a huge part of that was making sure that it was something that we could merchandise well. You went through several iterations, right? Like, how do you do that if you're going to go through and rebrand? What's the process? Can you take us through the steps that you went through? First, it's the idea, oh my gosh, our customers aren't liking the branding. It's not making sense. We need to change it up. So then what happens from there? Yeah, so I gathered the feedback from them initially. And then what you look at is how do we stand out in the marketplace? So then it's one of the best things to do is, yeah, look at all your competitors. What's around you? So I spent a lot of time just cruising out to different grocery stores, small boutique retailers, things like that, and really just looked at all of our competitors. And again, kind of what I said earlier is you have this big landscape of the big companies that do this in boxes and with high priced items or high priced equipment. And then you have smaller companies that actually, similar to Pasta Mamas, maybe haven't rebranded in years and the packaging is a little older. And then you have to think too, the boxes, things like that, automated box packaging, it's so expensive. So how do we continue to do something that is cost effective? It's something that we don't have to make a huge investment in production wise, but then meet all of our objectives. Well, and for you with a consumable product, it has to be packaging that's going to retain the integrity of the product in terms of freshness and all that. Yep, absolutely. Well, and what we kept hearing back from people too, the bag, they liked that you could see through a bag. I really was set on the idea that I'd like to have being an all natural product and health conscious, environmentally conscious too. And I don't love the idea of plastic, but realistically, the cost of boxes, the barrier to entry and doing some of those things and the cost of the equipment to do it is just, it's astronomical for a small business. So the feedback was in general that they really liked the bags. Most people wanted the bags that we use right now. So it was kind of a no-brainer to just redo the label. And we spent some time with the elements that we knew we wanted. Wheat is obviously a huge factor in pasta. So that became an element in the logo. And visually, you just play around with it. What I always love to do is you look at the brand and where you want to see it in maybe five years. What's the vision? What's the story you want to tell? What is the imagery that you see representing the brand? And I create a vision board for all of that. So rusty pickup trucks in a field next to a farm with the wheat and straw hats and like just all of these different conic kind of country rustic images. See, I love it. (laughs) You kind of have to paint that image of what you want the brand to be and then look at how your logo and your packaging represents that brand. And so that's what we continue to do. And I think you're going to see that in the next line that we launch here. should see it, I think, at the beginning of May. So it sounds like it's an evolution to that image that you just set out for us. It is. So then you had some versions of what the logo would look like. You'd said Mm -hmm. it would include wheat and you already knew it was going to be plastic with some type of a label on it. Then did you go to customers for feedback on it or how did you decide and narrow down on exactly the one it was going to be? Yeah, you know, I did get some feedback. We reached out to some reps and we have some folks that rep our product as well. And we have a broker that works on some of our other accounts. So we definitely got feedback. And really, we asked folks like you. I had Sarah vet it through people as well. Yep. I got to give my input. (laughs) You did. That's what's super helpful is we got a lot of the same feedback on the ones that we were really looking at. So even after having several rounds, let's say we had six different versions of the logo and we really had two that we loved and getting feedback even from a couple of dozen people just reinforce that, yeah, we're headed in the right direction. This is perfect. I'm so glad you did that because you're so close to it and you're probably looking at all different versions of images and colors (laughs) and like all of that. You get so lost in it sometimes that it's really good to get outside feedback. And then for it to land on the ones you liked was perfect. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, and that's what I was just going to say is you get so close to it sometimes. At some point, you just have to say, yep, love it. Let's go and pull the trigger on it because, I mean, yeah, sometimes I get caught up in the weeds on some of those things and you think, all right, well, we could do it this way or you could do it this way and really just got to pull the trigger and make it happen. I like to always say that uh, perfection is paralysis. And if you linger too long on something, you may never get it done. So just pull the trigger and go. Oh my gosh. So true. And many of our listeners, including me, can be guilty of that because we're creators. So we're going to fumble around with the color of 
you know, something on the frame of a painting or adding more to those glass beads or the jewelry or like you could go on forever. Oh my God, forever. Yep. <laughs> yep. And that totally messes with your profits because you're spending so much time. Yeah. <laughs> and all. You, can't, you can't output as much, especially if you're making single things versus, exactly. you know, the type of thing that you're making. Let's move on to sales a little bit more because this is always a big question with my audience is how do I attract more customers? You've already talked about the gold that was in the existing list. You could have said, Eric, oh my gosh, all of these other people hate us because of what happened. We changed the recipe. Like, I don't want to go and have to have those conversations with people. I'm going to start fresh. But you were really smart because you saw the value in existing customers. And that was a base. You had all the contact information. So you did that first, which is always the best, I would say. You can get more business out of existing customers. And this is a good lesson, maybe. Even if you have had some issues, it's always best to go back there first. But then how are you now today attracting visibility for your business besides being on a podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is awesome. I'm super excited that we even get to do this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, really reaching out to everybody again. What it does is it reminds you of the categories of the businesses that you really need to be looking at. So looking and identifying certain categories where your product can be placed, right? Yeah, exactly. And so even just using our own store locator on our website, which again, little things that have to be updated and you go through it and you say, you look at maybe your sales for the last six months and look at who your customers are and who used to be and start reaching back out. And then you start filling on all these other little holes where one of the strategies, honestly, was just, we have these three stores in let's say Minnesota. Well, who else is in this general area and how far do we have to go before we hit another place that carries our product? So I don't want customers to be right on top of each other. I'd like them to have the exclusivity of our product. And there's plenty of people out there to do that. So we really just started looking around at other stores, olive oil and vinegar stores, huge part of our business always has been. Well, that's a complimentary product for you. Exactly. It's always been a big part of the business. So reaching back out to other places that are doing those things, farm stands, other mercantiles, things like that, that are in that realm. That's really all we started to do is it was look up those businesses. Was that part of your sales play though also that we don't want, we are reaching out to people who don't have our product already available in their area, which gives more potential. I mean, that's another selling point for an owner. It's like, oh, I want to have that product. Because kind of honestly, indirectly, it's almost saying, but if you're not interested, I'll go to someone else in your area. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind yeah, of. pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> kind, kind of. of. Yeah, kind of. So what we found too is because there's not that many other small pasta brands like ours, I mean, to be quite honest, if you head on to other folks' websites and they have store locators typically too. And so where are our competitors selling? Mm-hmm. Let's sure. give them a call. I have plenty of the stores. There's a one particular pasta company that is in many of the locations that we're in. And I think competition is great. So having them next to us in a lot of these places, it really just creates opportunity for both of the brands. And then we're really just competing in that space. And it's just us. And so, yeah, reaching out to some of these places that actually wasn't sure that they could get pasta mamas anymore and had been buying some of our competitor stuff. It mm -hmm. was great for them to see that there was another option and maybe it was a, the pricing was slightly different. Plus, we have a couple of other things that that brand doesn't. It really, again, it's just giving people options. And so that's really how we reached out. Were you replacing then store space or you were in addition to the other ones? In a couple of situations, we're replacing it. And in a couple of situations, they're adding us to it. You know, I kind of feel we forget that if someone loves your product, they don't necessarily always buy from only one source. Like if yeah. you love jewelry, you don't only buy jewelry from one place. If you like necklaces, let's say, you maybe have necklaces from a whole bunch of places. Mm -hmm. Same thing could be with pasta or anything else for that matter. If people love pasta, they may love both. Yeah. You might be loyal, but there's no reason why one has to be exclusive of another, really, for both of you to win, I guess is, is what I was going to say. Totally. Well... And right here, it's interesting because right here in the Tri-Cities, we have, I mean, because there's been such a history of the brand here, we have such a variety of customers and we really have, wow, there's probably, I would say at least a dozen larger customers right here that are still smaller independent businesses, but do a lot of volume with us. And I would be willing to say that even though some of them priced our products slightly different from location to location, I don't think customer crossover exists 
as much as you might think that it does. So somebody who might shop out at one of the other specialty stores may not shop at the grocery store down the road who carries the product. So you don't see a lot of, I don't have a customer coming in and saying, hey, I bought this at this store down the road for $2 more than I bought it for at this store. And just giving an example, but that's the general idea. There's just a completely different customer base shopping in different places. So there might Mm -hmm. be opportunities in places where you didn't even realize that opportunity existed. Interesting. I think you're right. And I think nowadays too, we value convenience and habit. Just what's in our regular routine over price. Yeah. I always stop at this place on the way home. I love to grab it. Or you might just be familiar with the store and it's just a lot easier for you to get around. I know just walking into like, you walk into a different Safeway or any store for that matter, if it's slightly different, it could be the exact same franchise, but everything is in an entirely different place. And it takes you an extra 20 minutes to figure out where stuff is. It is so true. I (laughs) (laughs) agree with you totally. Final question here. Do you create certain promotions or something to gain trial of the product? Or what do you do from an offering standpoint for people? Let's go with new customers here. Anyone that's a new customer in terms of our wholesale business, of course, free samples all day long. (laughs) We'll send you some stuff so you can check it out. Sometimes we go a little crazy and we may send larger packages than I anticipate, but I really want people to see the colors and the flavors of everything. I got that larger package. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you didn't feel buried in pasta and sauces. Oh, no, no, no. I loved it. (laughs) Yeah, that's our big thing. I love people to try it out because if they do once, they're going to love it. And that's really it. So just try the product. We'll send it out to whoever we can. But then we do a lot of different promos and things like that, too. We do if you're a brand new customer, we're going to help you out with your initial order. Store displays. I was just going to say store displays. We do recipe cards. We do shelf talkers. We have like a pairing card that is a pairing card on one side. So you can see what sauces and pastas go well together. And then on the other side, it's kind of a value proposition for both of our product lines and the company overall. Just simple, quick, easy, something that's readable and a good takeaway for customers that are just cruising through the store. Even if they don't buy the product, they grab the pairing sheet or something like that or the pairing card and you have a little takeaway and maybe they think of it the next time they cruise in there. Oh my gosh, that is an excellent idea. So Gift Biz listeners, any of you guys who are doing craft shows and you're looking at promotional materials, and this doesn't have to be just for a consumable product either, but the cards are a great idea for exactly what you said. Because you're also then, Eric, adding on like add-on sales. Because Mm -hmm. if someone's looking at the pasta, they're getting a certain one and they're like, oh my gosh, I see three spices that are recommended. Now I need all three versus just the pesto that I was going to get or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard for some of these stores. I mean, in a grocery store, you're maybe going to have just kind of the top three skews or something like that. We have 36 different combinations of flavor and pasta style. We have 16 different sauces. You're probably not going to see it all there at the store. So yeah, you pick up a pairing sheet and see that there's, oh man, I didn't know they had all this stuff too. You might go to the website. Oh yeah. Cause you're not necessarily going to have everything there. Mm-hmm. You know, the store might not carry everything. They should, but they might not. They they should. I don't know why they don't, but we're trying. I know. These crazy store buyers. I I know. know. Like, why isn't the whole store just your product? I know. Just stock us up. (laughs) All right. So given that, let's take a little bit of a peek into your future. And I do this also in a little bit of a different way. I'd like to present you with a virtual gift. This is a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future, Eric, or the future of Pasta Mamas. You get to decide. So this is your goal of almost unreachable heights that you are looking at within whatever time range you decide is appropriate. So please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What's inside your box? This, I think, is the gift of constant exploration. Ooh, talk more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) if i had any high expectation of myself or anything that i want to do be it pasta mamas or my personal life or with my wife and kids any of those things just want to keep exploring and keep my mind open to new opportunities and new things and i mean kind of like i said earlier the more you explore and the more that you open yourself up to new opportunities and just put yourself out there the more that you see context to the life that you're living and and the synergy between all of the different things that you do so being able to continue to explore with an open mind all the time I just think it creates just this wonderful synergy in life. Love it. And that's what gives you the spirit and the energy that we hear in your voice, for sure. It's (laughs) just that attitude and approach to life. I appreciate that. How would you direct our listeners to learn more about Pasta Mamas? 
So you can go to pastamamas.com, just P-A-S-T-A-M-A-M-A-S.com. You can sign up for a newsletter there. You can sign up for an account and check out some pasta. You can send us a note at info at pastamamas.com. If you'd like to try out some pastas and you're interested in doing anything like that, we'd be happy to send you some. You can email me at eric at pastamamas.com also. Beautiful. That's pretty much it. Find us. Yeah, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. We got recipes and always updating new blog posts with recipes and content. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, we didn't even get into that. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we'll have to schedule another time. It will have to be for another time. I yes. would love that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be great. So Gift Biz listeners, you know, Eric just rattled off a number of different ways you can connect up with them. I will have all of that information as well as the links to all the social media sites over on the show notes page. So if you're out and about, you're not able to have a pen and paper, but it sounds pretty easy. Just remember Pasta Mamas, and I bet you you can find your way there. Eric, loved hearing the story. Like I said, I've known a little bit of it. I've had a few intimate looks behind the scenes, but hearing the whole story from you has been absolutely fabulous. You've shared some great, really solid best practices with our audience. So I really appreciate that too. And I look forward to seeing the future of Pasta Mamas. Thank you so much for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sue. And I really appreciate you taking the time to bring me on and talk with me about all of this. (laughs) Hopefully I wasn't too long-winded. You weren't, but you have done one thing. I now have to go home and make pasta for dinner. That's <laughs> just the way it has to be. <laughs> hey, take a picture and tag us in it if you do that. I love seeing all of our different recipes and anything that we have out there getting cooked up. So okay, anything perfect. you're creating, I would love to see it. Okay, and we're going to end this on a final fun note. If you were doing that, what would be the pasta choice and the sauce? Like describe to us as we're going out here what it would look like your favorite. You know, I love the black pepper. It's got a little bit of zip to it and you can get it in a linguine or a fettuccine or a pappardelle. I personally like the big pappardelle noodles and I love the creamy Creole sauce. I like a little bit of spice. I don't love a lot of spice, but the creamy Creole sauce and the black pepper pappardelle with let's say some good fish and shrimp or scallops. Mm, Oh my gosh. Can I come over? That would be a good way to go. Yes, absolutely. Get on the next (laughs) flight. All right. There you have it. (laughs) Thanks again for taking your time today. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. I seriously think I'll be making Eric's pasta tonight. If you have a business that could potentially use his product, you definitely want to get a sample as he so generously offered. And if you see it on the shelf in your local gourmet shop, take it from me. Pick it up and plan for a very tasty experience. I'm really loving right now how one podcast episode is leading into another, and next week is no exception. What comes up after a delicious pasta dinner? Dessert, of course, and I have a very sweet show being served up next. An easy way to make sure you don't miss any episodes is to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. That way, a new episode, every time it comes live, will just automatically be delivered over to your phone. So that's a wrap for this week. Meanwhile, don't forget to join us in the masterclass. That link again is giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash masterclass. Bye for now. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making my favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today.